Welcome to Theatre Unwrapped, the new Woolsey Theatre podcast. I'm your host, Sue Lawther-Brown, and I'd love you to join me right here in Dressing Room 3 as I unwrap the secrets and stories of theatre. Episode 1, Unwrapping Doctor Theatre. When I first started working in theatre, I heard an actor making a joke about Doctor Theatre curing practically anything. I heard Doctor Theatre quite a lot, you know, Doctor Theatre will, will look after him. It was always with this little twinkle. Ever since then, I've really wanted to know more about this mysterious medic. Today's the day I discover what's really going on when someone says Doctor Theatre will cure that. Lawrence Olivia famously was so terrified and got such bad stage fright, you often had to be pushed on stage. I've invited actor Rob Jarvis and Dr. Raj Perso to join me here in Dressing Room 3 to finally unwrap this mystery. I'm in Dressing Room 3 at the New Woolsey Theatre and our special guest will be familiar with this room because he's actor Rob Jarvis. Rob has played in The Baker's Wife at the New Woolsey, The Winter's Tale, Oxy and The Morons, both also at the New Woolsey Theatre. His film and TV work also includes Hustle, Luther and a street cat named Bob. Hello, Rob, and welcome. Hello, Sue. Nice to see you. How's things? I'm all right, thank you, Rob. Now, your stage name is Rob, but I'm told your friends call you Robbie. Can I call you Robbie? Of course you can, yeah. Thank you. There is an actor called uh, Robbie Jarvis, which is why that I can't <laughs> I can't use that name professionally, if you know what I mean. My friends call me Robbie, but for professional reasons, I'm Rob. OK, well, we did the introduction right then, didn't we? But we'll, yep. we'll call you Rob from here on in. So Call me whatever you want. Robbie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Robbie. Um, Robbie, you've done a lot of work in theatres of all shapes and sizes, which are, of course, still closed. So before we start to unwrap the mysteries of Doctor Theatre, how has this year been for you? Well, it's been uh, it's been better for me than it could have been because um, thankfully I do a lot of voiceover work, and as soon as the, the uh, as soon as it hit last March, I got a call from a, a friend of mine who's an engineer, sound engineer at ITV. And he said, have you got this equipment at home? Because you're going to need it by the looks of things. So I immediately sort of went out and bought what I needed to be able to do voiceover work from home. So thankfully, that's been keeping me going. But I've built a little studio in my spare room in my house. And that's worked very well, you know. So I've been managed uh, ticking over. I mean, it's very difficult, really, with this industry to sort of... Because if you're not working, you assume that, well, you're just not working at that time. You yeah. Know? Um, Having said that, I mean, theatres, all, I think, the live performing arts have, have had it pretty bad, I think, over this last year. Um, and there seems to have been some sort of token amount of support, but not enough, not enough, you know, theatre. I mean, I haven't done... Th- the last stage play I did was uh, Oxy and the Morons, which I think was three years ago, four years ago now, at the Wolsey. And I hadn't done any for a long time before that, not because I don't enjoy it. I love it. I, I really miss it. But it's... It's a largely financial decision. Um, it's it, you know it doesn't pay that well, uh, theatre. And sadly um, not. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah. but I really do. And you know to do a show like Oxy, I absolutely loved it, and I love the Woolsey, and I love coming back to the Woolsey. It's one of my two favourite theatres. You know that mean the most to me in in the country. You know the other one being the Everyman in Liverpool. And uh, and so yeah, I think it's I think. But I think what Pete has done, I think the panto was absolutely extraordinary. I uh, I watched the panto go out and how those five people in it who managed to do a show that was uh, such good, such high quality uh, yes. was extraordinary. And they did it in the, uh, under these circumstances. It was it was brilliant. So it, it can be done. You know, it just shows, I think, that the creative creativity and of of people who work in the industry it's you know you you, you've got to keep going and you're going to do something and they did and it was just brilliant yeah well thanks Robbie that's so lovely to hear we did we did work so hard to to get Snow Queen together and and we actually are so proud that we were able to do that and Pete Rowe as a director did an extraordinary job um so that was a real a real triumph, actually, in, in what's been a really difficult year for so many people. Um, yeah, I mean, it felt kind of triumphant watching it, you know. You saw you going, God, I hope this works. And then it did. It was brilliant, you know. It was, I, was, I was delighted with it. I thought it was great. 
Oh, well, that's great. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said that we weren't nervous about actually being able to pull it off. There was there was a real sense of, you know, in the weeks leading up to it, that real sense of, oh, you know, goodness, what if this is just pants? <laughs> and it's, yeah. You know, yeah. we just... Um, but but we really fairness, wanted I mean, you to think, do it. You, you, you think that anyway when you're, you know, on whatever show you're doing, you always hit a point during sort of, you know, towards the end of rehearsals, you think this doesn't work. And we've got a face, you know, we've got a face an audience in a week and it, and it doesn't work. And then, you know, Dr. Theatre takes over. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for that. That's. I mean, you might not have had much need for Dr. Theatre in the last year, but you're certainly familiar with the medic that we're calling Dr. Theatre. So I started working at the New Wolsey just over a year ago. And it was during this time that I've heard the saying, Dr. Theatre will cure that. And I was fascinated. Can you remember when you first heard someone talk about Dr. Theatre? I think I first, it first sort of started registering with me when I, when I was at the Everyman. I, I did my, I got my first, I got my equity card at the uh, the Everyman in Liverpool, and uh, and I did quite a few shows there on the bounce. You know, I was really lucky at the time. This was this was in 1986, and I remember hearing Doctor Theatre then, and it was a it was a great time at the Everyman then. It was a real sort of exciting time to be at that theatre. You know, it was was for me because it was my first you know first few jobs and everything. But there was this a sort of irreverence about theatre there at the time, and there was a. There was a sort of tongue-in-cheek, a bit of uh, um, affectionate irreverence, really, of all the sort of theatre conventions, and things were taken with a little bit of a little bit of a sort of twinkle in the eye. And so, I heard Doctor Theatre quite a lot, you know, Doctor Doctor Theatre will look after it, and it was always with this little twinkle. And and uh, so, yeah, I think I probably first became aware of it, I reckon, about then, and then. That's the sort of thing that stays with you, you know. You, you, you know. I'll, I'll use the term jokingly um, uh, around, you know, uh, in a situation that that's not connected to theatre, you know, because it's, it just makes me laugh. I think more than anything. Yeah. yeah, and I, yes, I, I can imagine that that Liverpool sense of humour and it was really very evident at the Everyman yeah. in that in that <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really great picture you've painted of that time at the theatre in Liverpool. Have you had a director say that to you? Don't worry, Doctor Theatre will cure that. And and did it work? I don't look, I don't know if a director's ever said that to me, but I think you know, certainly actors have said it. There was a very sort of different culture in theatre back in the back in the eighties, and it was a you know, a continuation of, of, of what had been happening in the sixties and seventies. And there was a big drinking culture, I think, at the time. And there was a lot of partying around. I mean, I'm sure it still goes on, you know, but uh, not quite to the degree that it did, I don't think. I don't think it's nearly as acceptable now as it was, which is just as well, really. I don't yes. think it's all any, <laughs> anymore. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I've stopped. I haven't had a drink for 18 years now, largely because of all the misbehaviour I got up to at the Everyman. But uh, I think hangovers were the the advice would be that Doctor Theatre will take care of that one. You know, particularly on a, on a matinee. You know, but um, okay. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> an interesting anyone, picture. You know, well, well, I do. I remember one time as well. I was we would do. I was doing one of the rock and roll pantos at the Everyman, and. Uh, and we were out on a Friday night. It was a crowd of us in Liverpool and we'd gone out and uh, it was raining. It was two o'clock in the morning and, and, and it was raining and taxis were hard to come by. And I, I saw a taxi and I, I, I waved it down, ran out into the street and I got hit by a car. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and I did this sort of somersault over the, the over the bonnet and I had an umbrella in my hand. And I remember that when I came down on the other side of the car, I still had the umbrella in the air. And I went, I'm all right, I'm okay. And uh, and then got into the taxi and went home. And uh, I had a matinee, you know, the next day. Wow. And uh, I firmly believe that Dr. Theatre got me through that one because I was in some pain. I had some pain in my ankle, you know. That was. Uh... <laughs> I'm sure you so, were yeah, in pain. So, you didn't so, break so anything. <laughs> No, thank God. Well, the car, thankfully, the car was coming around. I don't know if you know Liverpool, but it was a car was coming around the sort of top of Bold Street and uh, by the bombed out church there. And it, and it sort of was slowing down and it hit me. It was going very slowly when it hit me, thankfully. And uh, yeah, but uh, wow. but 
Yeah, I knocked on Doctor Theatre's door that morning. I I'll bet you, you did. I bet you did. Because yeah. you, do, I didn't feel, I didn't really feel the pain until I came off. You know, it's it's a funny, funny, funny thing. That's interesting, isn't it? You didn't feel really feel the pain until you came off stage, and then did it hit? You kind of yeah realised yeah yeah. yeah it's like oh that that's a bit tender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. We're going to be talking to an expert later to find out what actually is going on in the brain and the body when Dr. Theatre takes over. But yeah. have you got any idea of what's going on? What do you think that's that's all about? Well, I think, I mean, I think it's got to be a combination of adrenaline, I think. But also, I think because of the uh, the focus that you have when you're on stage and the amount of concentration that you that you need, really, to get through a show. You know, a live show, you have to be concentrating all the time because anything can happen you know yes uh, and i think because you're in that state of that focus you know combined with the, uh, the adrenaline that uh, I, I think that's probably what what it is you know yeah and there's a tremendous amount of pressure when performing on stage isn't there because unlike film and television when you can do a retake um or or even postpone a shooting schedule You've got to step onto a stage as a as a as an actor in a play. And yeah. You've got to get it right first time. You've got to deliver it to an audience full of people waiting, and you've got to do that night after night, haven't you? Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder actually. I mean, if you're in a long run uh, in a show that you sort of know inside out, you know, you might be uh, in the West End or something, and you might be, you know, a, a good few months into the show. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Doctor Theatre has the same sort of level of uh, effect you know because uh because you're doing this a lot of the time you can be doing the show on uh on autopilot sometimes you know it's, you shouldn't say that really but it's true you know i was in a long running show in town but, and uh by the end of it you were sort of running on autopilot a little bit so i wonder if maybe because you haven't got that same level of intense concentration it, it, it might not be quite as effective you know but yeah perhaps it tapers off and there's a correlation maybe. between the length of the run and the effectiveness of doctor theater um perhaps yeah. yeah you know imagine that's a it's a big thrill when you're feeling great and stepping out onto a stage and delivering a great performance but it is a huge challenge if you're feeling under the weather and yeah. if you're doing a really long run it's probably quite difficult to look after yourself doing late shows night after night so how do you look after yourself when you're doing a show well, I think that I think what happens with, uh, is that you you know you adjust your days accordingly, you know, uh, and so that you won't get up till much later than you wouldn't, you know, much later than you normally would. So you do get the same amount of sleep as you'd be having, even even with a matinee, you know, you you wouldn't need to go out of bed till sort of gone ten o'clock, really. Yeah. Um, and so I think sleep is a great healer. Um, and I think you've, and especially the older you get, I think you, your body begins to tell you what it needs. You know, if you if you're not feeling physically great, then you you start to do stuff about it. You know, you might go running or or at least walking, and, and you you tend to try and eat better if you can and watch your calorie intake and stuff. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's something that's become important to me in the last couple of years. You know, because I'm turning into a big fat cat. That's why. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, lockdown hasn't um, helped people's waistlines on the whole, has it? Um, it's it really been a bit of a nightmare, no. hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Haircuts and um, waistlines have really suffered, haven't they? Haircuts um, and waistlines. We only have to look at our Prime Minister, don't we, to see the evidence of that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. So, so, Robbie, what's the scariest moment you've had backstage? Has Doctor Theatre ever not come through for you? There was one time, and it wasn't backstage, it was on stage, actually. It was, uh, I was doing a show in the West End, and I was playing various parts in it, um, but I was understudying a character as well. And at the interval, this guy came up to me and said, I feel terrible, and uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to do the second half. Uh, so here's my costume. Why don't you put it on? You know, um, which was which was great. Except that we'd had very few understudy rehearsals, and uh, so I was thrown on uh, at the second half in a completely different character uh, to this audience who must have gone, "Where's the?" Because he was, you know, he's a much bigger fella than me, and he was like, "Where's this fella? Who's that little fella in the in the, in the oversized costume?" You know. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, they threw me on, and uh, it was yeah, it was pretty terrifying that because uh, I, I really wasn't up to speed on on the all the lines and everything. We the the run had only just started. We were very you know we'd had probably two understudy rehearsals, if that you know. Uh, so there was a, a terrible moment where I'm standing there. Um, feeling very naked and uh, uh i completely lost my lines you know so oh. i had to uh i had to ask a guy on stage to help me out in oh. character of course yeah yeah uh, and he did and we got on with it yeah but it was uh that was that was a that was a pretty hairy moment but it wasn't a you know it was a, not necessarily a doctor theater thing it was that was just bad luck i think yeah 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 and clearly doctor theater couldn't work for your actor colleague at the time no so, absolutely um, not no where was he that's what I want yeah to yeah yeah and so what happened so you were you already had a part in that play so when you yeah. stepped into understudy what yeah. happened to the character you were playing well it all sort of shifted round a bit because then there were people who were covering me as well you see so uh it uh, the, it all has this this sort of domino effect where somebody takes over and then somebody else takes over that and somebody else takes over that. And it was a big ensemble show, you know, so everything was covered, you know, but it was, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't stop it being pretty terrifying, but you get such a buzz, you know, when, when, when you come off, when that's done, you know, you think brilliant, you know, that was what, what, what a laugh, you know, flying by the seat of your pants there, you know, but great. Hopefully, And hopefully the audience uh, would appreciate that something's happened and they'll go along with you, you know. Yes, because they'll have noticed several several of the cast changing, won't they? I'd be surprised <laughs> if they hadn't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, saying break a leg to an actor is a way of saying good luck before they go on stage. But, mm. of course, if that were to actually happen, then the show couldn't go on. So what happens when a show does have to stop? Have you ever been on stage when the show really couldn't go on? And what happened? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's very rare that a show doesn't go on. I mean, the only times I've really known a show not to go on that I've been involved with has been in a fringe theatre when there's more people on stage than there are turned up to see it. And then there's a sort of uh, uh, an unwritten rule that, you know, you can say to the audience, look, you know, would you mind if we not do it? Because we need an audience, you know. Um, but talking about breaking a leg, I was doing um, a production a long time ago of uh, Troilus and Cressida. Uh, which is a difficult play at the best of times, and it's uh, this was a particularly uh, excruciating production of it. It wasn't good at all, and uh, we were um, we opened in Oxford, uh, and then we toured it around the country, and we ended up at, at, at the Old Vic with it for a couple of weeks, which uh, which has got to go. I'm sure the Old Vic has got memories of that one because it was really not good. But uh, <laughs> there was uh, well, the guy playing the guy playing Hector. Uh, who is this? You know this Trojan warrior. He's the he's the you know he's the guy that was. If anyone's going to stop Achilles, it's going to be him. You know. Yeah. And uh, uh, we were. I think we'd only just opened for the first previews, and uh, we were after the show one night. We were drinking in this little uh, club around the corner, little um, drinking bar, dive bar sort of thing, and it steps to go down into the club, and he slipped and fell down the steps, Hector, and broke his ankle. So he he spent the 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 rest the rest of the run as this mighty warrior on crutches, you know. Uh, <laughs> it was a, it was it was comical at, at first, yeah, you know. But you say, oh my god! <laughs> and then again, I'd seen a, a, another production I was in. There was a, we'd been playing football in the uh, when we were on tour, and uh, one of the guys in the show um, snapped his Achilles tendon, and so he had to do the rest of the tour on on as his character on crutches. It didn't matter so much because he wasn't playing like this this warrior you know but uh, yeah. it was still it, it, quite comical you know but things like that there's doctor theater can't help there you know yeah <laughs> with, with a leg break let's face well, yeah. it yeah well yeah. i was beginning to think that it was just drinking that was um the the reason that doctor theater needed to be kind of rolled out but playing football uh, you know is fair enough that's another another yes. hazard yeah. isn't it it's not not just drinking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no no <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, let's make a point of saying that to all the drinkers out there. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not only hangovers you'll take care of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and there was a time when you got um, chicken pox when you were about to go on stage. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yes. We were doing a show at the Young Vic uh, and I was sitting in the dressing room before the show and there's a guy called Keith Strachan who was, uh, who was working on the show. 
and I know I was looking in the in the mirror in the in the dressing room, and I noticed like a spot on my chest, and it was quite painful. And I said, "Bloody hell, look at that! It's horrible!" You know. And he said to me, "Have you ever had chickenpox?" I'm like, "I didn't know." And I, I you know, so I went and rang my mum at the payphone and <laughs> in the theatre backstage. I was like, "Mum, have, have I ever had chickenpox?" And she said, "No, you haven't." So yeah, so I came down with full blown chickenpox. I love that you had Which to ring your mum. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I could, and it's days before mobiles, you know, so I couldn't text her or anything. So uh, yeah, so I uh, I went to see the the doctor just down the road from the theatre. This lovely fella, and he said to me, uh, "Yeah, yeah, you've got chickenpox, all right." Uh, and I said, "So what? What? What issues is that going to cause me?" He said, "Well, there might be." A- a few problems with the testicles but uh and i went hang on hang on a minute the pro- problem with the what uh, <laughs> but thankfully yeah, thankfully nothing happened there but i had to take uh i don't know i took two or three shows off i think i felt absolutely terrible it was really debilitating yeah i think you get get it worse often when you're an adult don't you chicken pox yeah i believe so yeah it's uh it's not pleasant at all and uh the director had to go on with uh, with the book in his hand uh, which was which i'd love to have seen but uh i'll tell you who was in that show as well dave rubin as well he was in that he was in oxy and the morons with us at the Woolsey. yeah ah uh, uh, yeah but, yeah so he, he oh, we were playing sort of uh, this double act me and dave so so it was lovely to work with him again. Aww. But uh, so, yes, the director had to go on for, you know, two or three performances. And then what, coming back into the show, well, I was playing this 60s character from the 60s, very clean cut, clean shaven guy. And I couldn't shave because I had all these horrible spots on my face, you know. So, um, yes, I think I looked a bit a bit scruffy for a, a few shows until the spots went. But, Aww. yeah. Oh, yeah. calamine lotion. Horrible. Yes. Cal- all that. Yeah, yeah. All that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh well, yes, it it would be a stretch for Doctor Theatre to cure chicken pox. I think, but I think um, so. Yeah, it sounds like you did. But really interestingly, well, though, you still go on. You still go on. You know, you, you yeah. still, Even though you're feeling rough, you do. You do still go on, and that that adrenaline and 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 stuff it pulls you through. You know. Yeah, you did really well, only to miss a couple of shows. I think actually. I said, yeah, it was only a couple, and because I, 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 I really want you, no no actor wants to miss a show. You know, no one does, and it's uh, you know you fit when you know when you're not there, and, the, and it hits about seven o'clock, and you're thinking, oh, I really shouldn't be here. I really should be at the theatre now. You know, so uh, yeah, yeah. Oh well. And I mean, theatres do a lot more these days than just put on shows. And there there are lots of skills associated with performance that have got benefits and other walks of life. So you've you've been talking about that sense of kind of commitment and teamwork and and supporting colleagues as well, you know, being able to step into another role. So the new Wolsey does a lot of work with young people. And, you know, even those that don't want to be actors can get great benefits from being part of um, a young theatre company or a sort of training or skill session that's based around performance skills. So what do you think are the wider benefits in the kind of training that an actor gets? Well, I think, you know, I mean, the obvious one would be confidence, you know, the ability to stand up in front of a room full of people and and, and not go to pieces. You know, I think that, that that's, uh, that's a great thing that... that uh, you know any sort of like workshopping stuff that can give kids who who may not be very confident kids you know if they can get over that emit that sort of immediate hurdle of um right you've got to stand in front of a room full of people now and, and do something and not be self-conscious and you know be proud of yourself and i think if kids can or anybody can learn that that's a great big tick in there in your in your head you know what i mean if you've had the confidence to do that and you've done it i think it's a brilliant uh, a brilliant thing you can take through into into all areas of your life you know i think uh, yeah theater training so, um, can be a massive help to people i really do you know yeah yeah they've done some research haven't they and and public speaking ranks consistently as as the the most terrifying thing that someone can do or that the thing that people are most terrified of it's and so isn't it yeah yeah so if you can overcome that um, yeah. especially as, at a younger age then that sets you up to be able to handle all sorts of situations where you might need to speak in front of a group of people or or put yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit 
but I, and I think not only that. I mean, not only would you have to necessarily take that into well, now I can speak in front of a ro- uh, you know a room full of people. It gives you a, a confidence that you can take and apply into other areas of your life. I think you know you you, you know you've been able to do that. It's a you've climbed a little mountain there, yeah, and you got to the top. You know, and I think yeah. if you can remember that feeling, and you can apply it to other other things, other areas of your life. You know, I think it's it, it's really important for for kids to to at least to to feel what that confidence that it gives you, what that's like. You know, yeah, um, yeah. And I think it's so that's why it's really important that you know you keep we keep teaching the arts in schools. You know, it's uh, it's vital for kids to have that extra little string to their bow. You know, even if it's not something that they'll take as a career. You know, to taste something like that, and yeah, and, and then you can apply it elsewhere. You know. Which is surely what a fully rounded education is all about, you know. Yes, drama's often, often not seen as as one of the the kind of essential subjects, is it? It's it's seen as a kind of an add on or an, a nice to have yeah. extra. And actually, those skills that kids can build through drama classes and activities and performance, um, it's you know, it's it's not just confidence, but it's about a bit of discipline. It's about teamwork. Yeah. Um, 100%. putting yourself in somebody else's shoes um quite literally yeah. some you know but metaphorically yeah, as well yeah. so yeah it's yeah. really important and yeah the new walls does a lot of that actually with schools and and young people around the area as as do most other regional theatres um and and the national ones too yeah, and I think the Wolsey is particularly good at doing all that stuff, though. I think it's, uh, you know, it does seem to, to blaze a trail a lot of the time with, with that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's a, it's great that um, that Pete's, you know, keen on doing all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's something called social prescribing that's getting more and more popular now. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it's where a GP or a nurse practitioner prescribes taking part in an activity instead of, or maybe sometimes as well as, medication. And um, it seems to me that the performing arts has a lot to offer in that field. Um, you know, perhaps that's doctor theatre working in a different way altogether, where theatre is helping people to overcome mental illness or a sense of loneliness or isolation. I, I don't know if you've ever seen doctor theatre at work in that sense. When I was at, uh, when I was at drama school, we uh, in the first year, we went out to this disabled school for disabled kids in, in New Cross and just worked with these kids, you know, and encouraged them to, you know, to mess about, really. I mean, you know, let's, let's not forget a lot of dramas, you know, it's sanctioned messing about, you know. And, yeah. um, <laughs> it's But it's great because, you know, if you lose that ability to mess about, you've lost a big part of your life I think you know you, you if you lose the child in you it's a great loss but uh but I remembered I mean I don't I'm not sure if it's entirely the same as social prescribing but I remember seeing a difference with these kids when we've been working with them and I think it I think it did give them something you know maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering it but I'm I sort of remember coming away thinking that's a good thing you know that's a good thing to do that's a yeah, good thing they did get a lot out of it yeah I hope so yeah yeah, yeah. but so I think I think uh I think if you can get a theatre group, it's a fantastic place to to combat loneliness, you know. Mm. You get people together and talking and, and having that moment, you know, if they're not used to it, having that moment of, of sort of fear standing up in front of everyone. But if they all do it, then they've all been there. Then they've got this sort of, this common uh, thread that uh, that they've experienced something together. And, and you know, that's going to combat loneliness pretty much more than anything, I think, because you've got this this real sense of camaraderie, you know, that you've all done something together. It doesn't have to be theatre, you know. It could be, you know, it could be anything. It could be a sport or it could be, uh, uh, you know, um, some sort of physical activity. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, theatre is, uh, you can have people in a room together and you can create something, you know, out of yeah. nothing. And yeah. if you've done that together and you've, you, you know, you've overcome a little bit of, you know, a lack of confidence or a bit of nerves and you've you've done that, that together. That can only be a good thing, can't it? Yes, it can. And I think it's that that sort of confidence and, and overcoming those fears are things that you can learn. Um, it's not it's not just something that you're born with. And so learning that in a group and being part, as you say, a shared experience with other people doing it together learning together is is yeah. really powerful and um and important for all sorts of situations in life not just in theater definitely 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 i, I couldn't agree more yeah 
So, Robbie, what are you most looking forward to when theatres reopen? Do you know what you're going to be doing next? Well, I've got a couple of... Uh, I'm filming a couple of things, but, um, I mean, as far as theatres reopening, I, I'd, I'd love to be back in the theatre. I'd love to do it, you know. I'd love to do a show again. Also, I'd love to sit in the theatre and watch a show, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it's really, really been missed, theatre. And, I, you know, as much as trying to, to do this online theatre, it's great. And it gives you... Uh, I, saw, I saw a production of Happy Days, the other, the Beckett show, with uh, yeah. Siobhan McSweeney. You know her from uh, from um, Derry Girl. She plays the yes. uh, plays the, the mother superior, you know, the nun. In yeah. And she did this. It was just brilliant. As I say, the Woolsey production was just brilliant. But it's not the same, you know. It's not the mm. same as being in the room, you know. And I think people will, hopefully, at the end of it, people will realise the value of, be a bit more aware of the value of, of theatre and the live performing arts, you know. I can't wait to go to a gig, you know. I can't wait to see, you know, go to a concert. You know, I'm looking for, missed all that. And so I'm looking forward to that, yeah. But I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a little film. Well, I say a little. I mean, it's a feature film, but it's it's a low budget film that uh, very well written called Cost of Living, which I'm I'm uh, I start filming that next week, uh, and I'm about to do a series called uh, Show Trial for BBC, which is a, a cop thing. Oh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. They sound in, yeah, they sound interesting. So Cost of Living, um, do you know sort of when we might see that? Is that a long way down the road? I think it's a long way. To, I think it's a long way off that one. Yes, I mean uh, it's uh, it's a low budget film, and people are, are working when they can really on it. Um, it's a small cast, but it's uh, it's. I don't know. Is 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 the honest answer? But I, I think I'd be surprised if we saw it before sort of the end of next year. Okay. Um, okay. And I don't know what show trial. I guess that'll be out probably end of the year. I would have thought. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, we'll look out for those. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we just like you, we can't wait to get back into the theatre, and and it is really emotional. When we had um, people come into the theatre at Christmas for a really short run of Panto for, for mm-hmm. Snow Queen, there were people coming in with tears in their eyes because they were so overjoyed to be walking back into a theatre to yeah. see a live performance. It was. Yeah. Yeah so touching and so powerful and i really think um we're going to we're going to really see a massive upswell of support as as theaters reopen this year um, i think so too and i hope so i mean, i think the thing the Woolsey is uh, is a really strong example of a of a community theater in it, in its truest in the truest sense of the term you know it's it is there for the people of the area and uh, and it, it provides for the people of the area and the people miss it when it can't do what it's there to do, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's a, it's a terrific theatre, the Woolsey. I've got loads of time for it. Well, thanks, Robbie. We really appreciate that and we, we love it too. We dedicate our, our working lives to it day in, day out. Yeah. So it's lovely to yeah. get that kind of feedback. And we can't wait for the dressing rooms to be full of life again. There's such a I'll buzz bet. in the building. When there's actors a show moaning on. and all that, all yeah. that moaning actors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't wear this. All that stuff. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> wardrobe all over the place. Um, yeah. yeah, actors do bring a certain magic to the place, and um, we can't wait to welcome you back. Um, well, so you've you've been a wonderful guest, Robbie. I've really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so much it's for been taking a real the time. Pleasure. Everyone at the New Woolsey wishes you well, and we hope to see you here on the stage again really soon. Well, I'd love that. I give everybody there my love because because uh, it's a great it's a great theatre. The Woolsey it really is. We're very lucky to have Dr Raj Perso with us today as we explore the fascinating subject of Dr Theatre. Dr Raj is a consultant psychiatrist and writer with more degrees and awards than I can possibly mention here. But I will mention some. Dr Raj was the recipient of the prestigious Royal College of Psychiatrists Research Medal and Prize and the Osler Medal. And I think it's safe to say that Dr Raj has made a major contribution to our understanding of the psychology of seduction 
That was the subject of one of his numerous books and a TED Talk. His book, Staying Sane, How to Make Your Mind Work for You, is a really practical, taboo-busting book about taking care of your mental health. Dr. Raj clearly has a fascination with the way our minds work, and I'm delighted to pick his brains today. Welcome, Dr. Raj. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, this last year has been so challenging for everyone's mental health. How busy have you been? Yes, I've been very busy and there are many different aspects of what's happened over the last year that will be affecting people's mental health. I think although a lot of lip service has been paid to talking about emotional and mental health over the period of the pandemic and the lockdown and all the implications of it, I still think the true enormous impact on people's emotional and mental health has not properly been realised. And I think there are reasons for that. Um, if you want to get a rough idea of the impact, the um, research data doing surveys of the population suggest that whenever you see on the news um, statistics about the number of people who've caught the virus, and those statistics are bandied around a lot and seem enormous and rather frightening, you should multiply by a factor of 20 to get a sense of the mental health impact on the population. So 20 times the number of people who are catching the virus are getting serious depression and anxiety as a result of the pandemic. So I think, in fact, the enduring legacy of the pandemic is going to be on our mental and emotional health. The other point that I think this legacy, if we don't get a handle on it, I don't think we are getting a handle on it, and partly that's something to do with the closure of theatres, for example, It's gonna, the effects are going to last way, way, way into the future. A recent study that I quote in a book I'm about to publish about how to cope with the pandemic, and that book is entitled The Mental Vaccine for COVID-19. When it examined what happened for generations after the Spanish flu, which was a large, last big pandemic we had worldwide, found that several generations afterwards, people were still being affected in terms of trust. Their children and grandchildren, people who went through the Spanish flu, because it induced a lot of paranoia about who had the disease and who didn't, you know, three generations later, people were still suffering lower levels of trust in people around them than people who had not been through. Uh, the Spanish flu. So that just shows you how profound the impact can be emotionally, not just on people now, but in generations to come. So it's it's massive, and I think it's being underestimated by the media and the public. Well, those are extraordinary numbers, particularly when you talk about multiplying by 20, That you know, the number of people that have been diagnosed with COVID. That's a truly staggering number. Obviously, I work in a theatre, and so I'm really very conscious of the impact that this has had on people in the theatre and the performing arts in, in particular, because that's my world. And it's not just the financial loss, but as you say, the, the impact of the mental health challenges and and perhaps also not having their usual purpose in life. You know, that the performing arts is well known for creating that buzz, that magic of a live show. We've all missed that as audiences, but those that do the performing have perhaps missed it most of all. Do you recognise that buzz of live performance in your work as a psychiatrist? Well, I'm glad you've asked me that because I think the theatre is extremely important and particularly important for all sorts of reasons to do with people's emotional and mental health because theatres are profoundly important things for our emotional and mental health. So I think that people think of theatres as places of entertainment um, and I think they're way, way more important places than just that that. So one point I would make, first of all, is in terms of cultural export, Britain is unique in its theatre. And of course, we have people like Shakespeare. And all around the world, one of the unique things about British theatre and its export in terms of this cultural product of theatre all around the world, you go anywhere in the world, Japan, the remote parts of Texas, they are Shakespeare festivals. And so as a cultural product and a cultural export, theatre is really massively important. It's massively important for Britain economically as well, because one of the number one reasons people say they visit Britain, they may come to London and they may visit Stratford-upon-Avon and they may go to Buckingham Palace, but they want to see British theatre. It's a unique thing that has is massively important economically and it brings a lot of money in. But at a fundamental level, if you go back to people like Aristotle, Aristotle talked about the mental health 
importance of theatre as theatre providing catharsis was the word he used. And what he meant by that was we went to the theatre, we saw tragedy, we saw conflict, we saw love on stage. And it had a very profound impact, uh, Aristotle believed, on our mental lives and our emotional lives. In fact, it provided an essential function. It was like a form of psychotherapy. And I think one of the crucial questions that has been neglected by theatre is why should we go to the theatre rather than go and see a film? And I think there are many, many reasons we should go to the theatre rather than just go and see a film, because the theatre is a very different experience. That live element of the theatre is a very important experience as opposed to the cinema and leads on to several implications, particularly, for example, in terms of character. In Shakespearean plays and in all plays or stories, they're, they're heroes and they're villains. In the theatre, the villain speaks up a lot more for themselves and carries the story a lot more than in a film. Usually in a film, particularly a Hollywood movie, the villain's main purpose is to be killed at the end in a rather spectacular function and to be despised by the audience. But in plays and in theatre, because of the physical presence of the villain, there's a much more nuanced and sophisticated relationship that the audience develops with the villain. So for all sorts of reasons, I'm going to talk about some more, theatre is a very important part of our emotional emotional and mental lives. And it's a tragedy um, that theatre has been closed for so long. And I'm a very strong campaigner for the idea of reopening theatres. But one final point I want to make is theatre is all about risk. There is no risk in cinema. The, the act has taken about 20 takes to get the scene right. And now it's before you. Theatre, one of the exciting things about it is live performance. It's a risk. It's a risk for the audience. And it's a risk for, for the people on stage. And that risk element, I think, is really fantastically important as part of emotional mental health because all recovery from disorder and all aspects of emotional mental health involve confronting and taking risk. And that's the wonderful thing and the magic of theatre is the embracing of risk. That inevitably happens when people get up on stage and perform before people. Sorry, that was a very long answer, a bit of a Shakespearean monologue. <laughs> no, I was listening intently. Thank you, Raj. That's really interesting. The new Woolsey Theatre, we are so desperate to open again and we're working really hard to, to plan a programme for uh, welcoming audiences back into the theatre so they can experience that magic of a live performance. And, and as you say, that the, the risk of uh, seeing people perform in front of you rather than on a screen. I've been talking to actor Rob Jarvis about his experiences on and off the stage and in particular, this magical effect known as Dr. Theatre. I first heard about it about a year ago. Have you ever heard this saying before? Yeah, and, and there's all sorts of ways in which the notion of theatre as therapy or the theatre as energising people or the theatre as curing people of problems. And actually, there are various forms of theatre that occur in therapy. There's drama therapy and psychodrama. So people may be amazed to know that um, the theatrical experience is actually very closely linked to what psychotherapists think is an important part of people's mental health. But let's start with a very basic point. From an actor's standpoint, obviously, the, the theatre is a very arousing experience because you stand on stage and there's a hundred people in, in the darkness or a thousand people looking back. And evolutionary psychology says that's going to be very, very nerve-wracking because the last time that happened in our evolutionary and ancient history was if you stood in the ancient village that we descended from hundreds of thousands of years ago and a hundred people were staring at you, you were in trouble in some sense and you were <laughs> yeah. risking being exercised or expelled from the tribe. So it's actually a very challenging and frightening experience. And in terms of phobias that people have, it's up there as perhaps the most common phobia, the fear of public speaking, the fear of being on stage. And many great actors, interestingly enough, have suffered from stage fright. Laurence Olivia famously was so terrified and got such bad stage fright, you often had to be pushed on stage uh, by the stagehands because he was so terrified. So there's something very interesting about terror, which inevitably happens to some extent whenever you get on a stage, um, and excitement. The terror and excitement and arousal and anxiety are all part of the same thing. When you go to a fun fair and you race around the fun fair on a roller coaster ride, it's exciting 
exciting, but it's also exciting because it's scary. So there is something about the scariness of theatre that I think is partly what the excitement is. And it's partly the arousal bit that leads to to energise people and is part of what Dr. Theatre is about. But one other point I want to make, and coming at this from a slightly different angle, when you look at children playing, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, ten-year-olds playing, you watch them in a garden playing, what are they doing? They're usually playing soldiers or, perhaps a bit more worryingly, doctors and nurses. And the fundamental level of play, what children do, is an imaginative act where they create imaginative worlds that they inhabit and they experiment with being different people. There is a sense in which childhood play is an act of theatre. And so, therefore, at a very profound level, play as adults, we often forget to play as adults, and, and playing is extremely important therapeutically. In a way, we are playing when we do theatre. Another deep part of therapy, therapy is about learning to be a different kind of person. At a deep level, theatre, we can learn something about the fact that there are other acts, other roles, other ways of being available to us. And a large part of psychotherapy is about precisely that idea. We're often stuck in a rut being a certain kind of person, reacting in a certain kind of way to our difficult boss or our difficult spouse. But part of therapy and part of getting better is playfulness and being able to play with being a different kind of person. So at a very fundamental level, Dr. Theatre is operating in a deep sense, in the deepest sense of what mental health actually is about. It's right there at the centre. Again, sorry for that slightly long and rambling answer. No, that's really interesting. Um, so many things I want to pick up on there, Raj. So when I've spoken to my own children about being really nervous about something that they're going to do or they're going to have to do, and I've said to them, try and turn that anxiety, that nervousness into excitement, that's that's the right thing to say, isn't it? Because actually, or perhaps you'll tell me it isn't, but if you can turn that that feeling of anxiety into excitement, then that's a positive way of using that emotional energy. Yes, but also what you're trying to tell your children is not to be afraid, and this sounds like a paradoxical thing, of being scared, not to be afraid of difficulty. And that's a very deep part of what therapy is about and what mental health is about. And to some extent, the act of going to a theatre and the, the actors getting up on stage, they're confronting a very scary thing because things can go wrong over the two or three hours of a live performance. And, and having had a lot of actors in my um, consulting room and playwrights and directors and so on, and many people are part of the theatre because I'm a big fan of the theatre, the whole point about live performance is that things can go wrong. Now, another really interesting thing is, do we call it going wrong or do we call it things that happen on stage? <laughs> because <laughs> a lot of things happen on stage that weren't in the script. Do we have to really refer to it as something going wrong? Or, because this is one of the ways that I treat stage fright, we're going to have to go with the flow and actually turn it into part of the performance. So, I mean, uh, I will disguise details to protect confidentiality and I have his permission to tell the story. A very famous actor was um, being treated by me once. Um, he was in a, a play in the West End and I got invited along to the rehearsals. The problem we had was so, a little bit linked to, to stage fright, but not completely. Um, so, I, I, having been along to rehearsals and I saw the play, I knew the story inside out. And I knew he had a bit of stage fright and was afraid of things going wrong on stage. On the night I got invited to the actual live performance, this is several live performances in from the opening, there's a scene where he walks across the stage picks up something from a dressing table, looks at it, turns to someone else on stage and says something, right? So that's what's meant to happen. I know that's what's meant to happen. That's in the script. And I also know, you know, I've been treating him for stage fright and he's still a bit nervous. So on the night, he, I'm there in the audience. He walks over, picks the thing up from the dressing table, drops it, right? <laughs> Which is not meant to happen. <laughs> and yep. I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, <laughs> what's going what's to happen now? Do? He picked it up right and then turned to the person and then said the line and he did it so casually that afterwards in the interval i'm talking to my friends i said you know that moment in the scene where the guy dropped the thing right what did you think about that no one in the audience thought that was an error they thought that was in the script they thought he dropped that thing every night for the last 30 nights <laughs> so my point is this once you get to a certain 
a place in theater. You turn whatever happens on stage into the performance. It's not an error. It's a thing that happened. Now, on another occasion, I just uh, sorry to go on. I, there was another performance I was involved in where the number of errors was so massive for various reasons we won't go into in terms of not just one actor, but several actors. I said to them, listen, why don't we stop calling them errors and just call it your style. This is your style. <laughs> this is your way you're going to do this thing. And we're going to make the, the sheer multiplicity of errors the style. And they went with that. And um, everyone became very comfortable, paradoxically, because they relaxed into the error-prone nature of their performance. You know, they, they turned out less errors. So it's really interesting. You, you just think about things in a different way. Listen, we're making so many errors. Let's abandon the idea that we're going to fix it and stop calling them errors and just refer to it as our style. This is the way I we do that. things. This yeah. is the way we roll. Anyway, I, I've got a lot of experience of teaching sta- of, of treating stage fright. So many different techniques are available. And those are just some of them. Anyway, right. over that's, to you. That's really interesting. And I know that learning to play again is part of an actor's training because when an actor's training, they do lots of games and uh, trust games. And, and as as you were saying, they they learn to let go of inhibitions and and inhabit different characters without feeling too self conscious about it. And so that playfulness about acting is really important, I think. And it's a very important part of therapy. It's a very important part of how we handle difficult situations. Ninety nine percent of the stress people get into is because it's a stressful person in their lives. Usually, a very difficult person. It could be someone you're married to. It could be your boss. It could be a child. And therefore, particularly during the pandemic and the lockdown, a lot of the art of survival is, let me try something else out. Let me try a different thing I might say, a different script, a different way of being, a different act, a different role to see if I can get a different response back. So that playfulness of trying different things out is an enormously important part of the actor's life and actually part of everyday life. Now, we immediately collide with the first major objection. I get this particularly from young people who are very earnest these days about we're not being authentic. We're not being ourselves. And they really battle with me when I say, try this out. They go, but that's not being myself. I wouldn't normally say that. And I go, well, I think you might get a better response than your usual (laughs) self if you try this other thing out. And so there's a war in the consulting room where they go, but it's not, you know, it's not me. It's I'm not being myself. So then I go, which what is this self you keep referring to? Are you the same self with your boyfriend or girlfriend as you are with your mum or your grandma? Because I hope not. So this notion, and Shakespeare had this idea when he talked to one of his famous plays about, um, you know, we have different roles at different stages of our lives. Um, this this notion of of being different people at different times, I think, is an enormously important part of emotional and mental health. It worries me the people who insist on authenticity insist on the idea they're going to be the same person all the time. I, in my opinion, that's dangerous and doesn't work. Thank you, Dr. Raj. That was really interesting. Robbie has some great stories about Dr. Theatre apparently curing something long enough for an actor to get through a show. I've even heard of actors getting through a show with broken limbs. So I'm fascinated by what's actually going on here. Is it adrenaline having that effect? Well, it's it's not just adrenaline. It is adrenaline, but there's something else going on, which is it doesn't necessarily work with every actor. Some actors, I have to tell you, don't turn up if they're not feeling very well. But on the other hand, um, a lot of actors, you know, um, drag themselves over the finishing line. But it's really their commitment to their craft, their commitment to the others. The other really interesting thing about the theatre, it's a team. And you don't want to let the others down if you feel part of that team. Obviously, not every team is functional. Some are very dysfunctional on stage. But generally speaking, there's an obligation to the audience, which means people will drag themselves through barbed wire, crawl through barbed wire to to get to the end of the performance. So having a goal and having also to put up a performance in front of others and mask symptoms that you may have is another very enormously important part of the theatre. But also the desire, the excitement to be on stage, uh, the thrill of that is also another very important part of what Dr. Theatre is about, I think. Earlier, you were talking about that very ancient response to standing in front of a hundred or 
or a thousand people. Do you think it takes a particular kind of personality to cope with that kind of pressure? Or do you think it's a skill you can learn? Is it something you're born with? Excellent question. The different psychiatrists will give you different answers, I'm afraid, to that one. But I have to say that I think that it's important, and I prescribe, by the way, theatre a lot. I prescribe going to theatre. I actually prescribe acting classes or acting courses to to my patients. I even prescribe stand-up comedy courses because a lot of stand-up comedy courses now, um, which may sound like a very weird idea, but there are various reasons why I do that, and I'll explain and why it's part of the prescription. But if you are terrified of being on stage or even giving a small presentation in front of three or four people, the more that you do it and the more you force yourself, if you are in a boardroom meeting or a small group meeting in the office and having to present to three or four people makes you nervous, then um, being on stage in front of 100 people is going to make you even more nervous. And, and public speaking fears, which I've talked about the fact that some of the commonest fears of all, do relate back to being afraid to speak up at a dinner party, for example. So Going on an acting course whereby you're forced to go and be on stage in front of 10 people, 15 people, and if you take it you know, forward and, and go into amateur dramatics, 100 people and so on, is very good for you. Because basically, the more that you do it, the more that you will calm down and relax. However, the one caveat is that you have to be on stage for quite a long time. Most nervous people do. They get the therapy wrong. They, they take a small part in a play and they're only on stage for a few minutes and then they're off and then they're relieved. But then you're not really going to overcome your anxiety that way. You've got to um, be on stage for quite a long period of time. And once you do that and do that for long enough, you will calm down and relax. And I've had patients who were very like, at the beginning were terrified of being on stage and I being a bit of an um, because I make people go and do stuff <laughs> you know I've been on stage for so long I've had clients who were terrified at the beginning but by the end of the treatment fall asleep on stage they're so relaxed and have to be woken up <laughs> to give their lives <laughs> so 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 my point is that um, if you understand the principle that anything you're afraid of if you do it for long enough and often enough you can overcome that fear and eventually learn to relax then that is a very important point. But there is a sense in which you should never really completely relax because it takes away from the performance. There should always, as I say, be risk. There should always be a slight anxiety in there. If as an actor, you're completely relaxed on stage, you're not challenging yourself enough. You need to go and do more difficult parts, in my opinion. So that notion that there's always should be an edge, an element of risk. And by the way, that comes back to everyday conversation. The interesting evidence is the more comfortable you are in terms of talking in front of other people, people on stage and so on, the better it is for your career. It's as powerful. I mean, we can encourage kids to study exams and get good grades because we're thinking about them. I mean, education these days, unfortunately, is boiled down to getting a ticket to a job. But uh, career-wise, confidence speaking in front of other people is directly linked to climbing the greasy pole of the corporate ladder. So it's a very, very important thing. I, I think that kids at school attending drama and doing the school play is as important to their future lives as studying algebra. So again, that's a bit that I think is terribly neglected, um, that you take the kids at school who got a special interest in drama and get them to do the school play. Everyone in school should be doing a bit of drama or a bit of theatre. It's much more important for their future mental health and their future career prospects, oddly enough, than algebra. Well, I would absolutely agree with you, Raj. I, th I think drama is incredibly important. And I discussed that with Robbie and he, he agreed as well. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of um, social prescribing. It's becoming more popular. Places like the New Woolsey Theatre are, are getting involved in that kind of work in the community where running workshops or classes that people come to because they've been referred by a, a medical practitioner of some kind. So that's something that you do. Have, have you done that for a long time? Yes. In fact, I very rarely prescribe medicines. And in fact, my patients complain. They've got to you know, rip my arm off to get me to prescribe. Um, I do warn them when they start off with me that I very rarely prescribe and they're going to have to beg me for the drugs if they're going to get any <laughs> out of me. But so I believe actions, people have to go and perform actions, often difficult actions. And that is the correct way through having an experience that people will change and get better. I want to make a deeper point. I don't think looking after your mental health needs to rely for you to go and see a doctor. I 
think actually I've written several books about this. And my latest book, which is about how to survive the pandemic psychologically, is about the idea that you can look after your mental health without having to go and see a clinician or a doctor. And that does involve you putting yourself in difficult difficult circumstances. And I do think going to the theatre and taking part in some activity linked to the theatre or drama in some way is certainly a, a very important part of that in terms of confidence. Now, very interesting thing happens when an actor goes on stage, going back to the point you were making earlier, it reveals, it's quite revealing what you think the audience is thinking. Um, many people go on stage and they're frightened and terrified because they think the audience is sitting there basically with clipboards giving you a rating and um, judging you and, and waiting for you to fail. And it's quite revealing if that's what you think the audience is doing. Of course, many other people go on stage. I think the audience is rooting for me and they want me to succeed. And they're not looking at me judgmentally, et cetera, et cetera. So it's quite revealing um, psychologically about our relationship with with people around us and what we think they're thinking about us uh, when we go to the theatre, which is why an actor's training is actually deeply psychological and why it's so stressful and why it's so exposing psychologically, I think. We've touched on this idea of stage fright, this very real thing that is stage fright. And you said you've treated and worked with a number of actors um, who've suffered terribly from stage fright. Have you got a couple of top tips you could share. What are the the sort of top two or three things that, that you would do when you're talking to somebody who's got stage fright? That's a very good question. One of the things you've got to start off with when people are frightened of anything is ask a quite tough question, which is what exactly are you frightened of? You've got to drill down. And people skate over that bit, and therefore the treatment won't work if you skate over that bit. What exactly are you afraid of, right? So let's drill down in what one actor may say. One actor may say, I am scared that I will forget my lines on stage, and the audience will look up and think, I'm an idiot, okay? And what is that really a fear of? It's a fear of negative judgment. It's a fear of failure. And deep down, if you were truly confident as an actor and your, your talent and craft, even if you forgot your lines, if you consider yourself a genius, <laughs> let's say you're a narcissist, which is not mm -hmm. something actors are not unknown to suffer from, um, you don't care about forgetting lines because you're, you're a genius. So it doesn't really matter um, that your raw talent will be obvious to the audience. So deep down, what are you really afraid of? You're afraid of, of robbing your lines. You're afraid that you're not good enough basically, and you shouldn't maybe be on stage. That's the gnawing fear that you're thinking of. So we've got to drill down, right, into the thing you're actually afraid of, and that gets skated over. And it's a useful question to ask your kids when they're afraid of something. What, is, what deep down is this really about? Okay. Yes. And I'm afraid to say you have to confront your fear. Now, this is the least popular treatment in psychiatry and psychology. <laughs> Everyone says, can't I avoid my fear? If I'm a spider-phobic, can't I avoid spiders? Yes, you can have a pretty good go at avoiding spiders. But unfortunately, spiders are those creatures who seem to crawl out from behind the fridge at unexpected moments despite your best efforts to avoid them. So you have to confront your fear. And I'll tell you a really interesting thing because I've treated megastars, rock stars, who've an event has happened, which again, I'll disguise details to protect confidentiality, uh, on, on a big stage, Wembley Stadium, 100,000 people, someone has a panic attack on stage, <laughs> who manages to get through the rest of the performance, and the management bring the quivering wreck to see me the next day, and the management are very worried the world tour is going to get cancelled. And what's happened is this person has never made an error before in performance, made an error on stage, then thought, all the audience think, I'm an idiot. What usually, of course, has happened is the audience haven't even noticed um, something wrong on stage. Um, and what you have to do is get back on stage, obviously, and sometimes we have to do that in a graded manner. But here's the really interesting thing. It's only after you've made an error on stage and been through that hell that you realize it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. And if you're going to get involved in live performance, if your view is what I'm getting involved in is perfect performance night after night, I've got some news for you. It doesn't happen that way. Sooner or later, something will go wrong. 
embrace that fact. Goes back to a point earlier. Things will go wrong on stage. I had a panic attack, ironically enough, at the Edinburgh Book Festival in front of 400 people. Ironically enough, it was my first book called Staying Sane. Can you think of the irony of a psychiatrist telling you how to have good mental health having a panic attack <laughs> on stage in front of 400 people? When I came off stage, eventually drenched with sweat, I said to my wife, no one's ever going to buy another book that I've written. That was just ridiculous. And she said, well, I don't think they really bothered, actually. And sure enough, people were queuing up to buy the book, even despite the fact they just seen me have a panic attack on stage. So you have to actually accept the fact sooner or later something will go wrong with any live performance. Embrace that fact. And once it's happened, you know, something, a very interesting thing happens, you get a lot less nervous about bad things happening. You get more nervous until it's happened. Once it's happened, it, you actually became very blasé about it from that point onwards. So short answer, I know I've given a long answer to your question. Find out what the thing is that you're really afraid of and find a way to confront it. That's not popular, but it's the correct treatment. I had no idea when I started this investigation into Dr. Theatre that it would be such a fascinating journey. We've gone to the beginnings of civilization. We've gone to Wembley Stadium. We've gone to the consulting room with the actors with, with stage fright. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating. This notion that you've just um, invoked of, of a journey is another very important part of Dr. Theatre that we haven't discussed. I know we could, we could talk for hours about this, but one final point I want to make if we're running out of time, which is that, again, the million-dollar question is why go to the theatre when you could go to the cinema? Well, when you go to the cinema and there's a film set in Venice they will film it in Venice or somewhere that looks a lot like Venice. So you don't have to imagine what Venice is like. The theatre, The Merchant of Venice, has a play that's set in Venice. The audience has to exercise its imagination and imagine and do the imaginative work that we're in Venice. And that's a deep part of what Dr. Theatre is about. The reason you should go to the theatre rather than the cinema is it encourages you and invokes your imagination. A great play transports you in a more full, fuller sense of that word than the cinema can ever do because it, you have to do the imaginative work of watching Romeo and Juliet and imagining you're on a hot street somewhere in Verona, etc., etc. So it's, it's an act of the imagination and the audience turns up, very importantly, psychologically, willing to engage in that act of the imagination. And that's a very important part, being transported away from your everyday life through the magic of theatre is a very important part of what therapy is. Going back to the pandemic, which was a prison, we had to use our imagination to transport ourselves away from the four walls that we found ourselves in. The people who are connected with theatre and involved in that imaginative exercise would have found it much easier to survive the pandemic as a result of that. And that is certainly one of the things that I talk about in my book, The Mental Vaccine for COVID-19. Interestingly, given we've been talking about actors, one of the opening chapters uses a story of an actor, an employed actor and actress, who had to become delivery drivers to survive the pandemic. And there's a very embarrassing moment where she's a delivery driver. She was a top uh, West End actress, and she's now delivering parcels. And she knocks on the door, and um, a famous West End producer opens the door. And she's horrified because, you know, she was performing before this guy months ago and now she's delivering parcels to him uh, and she was really embarrassed but he was very you know understanding and and recognized her instantly and um tried to get her to relax <laughs> over the, the, the stressful <laughs> moment she was experiencing and she was very upset afterwards and i this was reported in the press and i i, I wrote the story up because of, of the importance of this point that we're discussing anyway i think that oh. the theater industry should fight harder for theater get the theaters open it's a very important part of our emotional and mental health. So Dr. Theatre is clearly so much more than an effect of adrenaline that gets a, an actor through a show with a broken leg or chicken pox or something like that. It's a much, much richer subject. And I'm so grateful to you, Raj, for, for talking us through what I imagine is actually just the tip of the iceberg of unwrapping Dr. Theatre and, and what it means. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining me in Dressing Room 3 at the New Woolsey Theatre. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and family and tell us too. You can message us via Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And if there's something you'd like me to unwrap in a future episode, just drop me a line at podcast at 
If you want to come and see a show or take part in one of our community activities, our website is the place to look, woolseytheatre.co.uk. This podcast series is for entertainment purposes, is produced and managed by our friends at podtalk.co.uk and is the copyright of the new Woolsey Theatre.